Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back or welcome to the Building Efficiency Podcast presented by Nenny and Associates. I'm your host, Jim Schaefer. Now, if this is your first time tuning in, Nenny and Associates is an executive search firm focused on the building efficiency industry, hence why we named the podcast the way that we did. And simply put, we help our clients find the right talent. Each week, we sit down with leaders from the industry to discuss their backgrounds, how they got started, and where they see the industry heading. We also get to know our guests and find out what drives them to be successful. And on today's episode, episode 98, I sit down with Taylor Oswald from the Veritas Initiative. Great conversation with Taylor as we discuss the early part of his career, his background in finance, and how he's making an impact on the energy industry today. And one of the themes throughout our podcast here is, is really this, this energy as a service model. And I always love speaking with these industry leaders on this topic as everyone has a slightly different approach and viewpoint on the current state and future state of this particular offering. And, and I really appreciated how Taylor unpacked some of the market segments and how the Veritas Initiative is poised to support their sustainability and ESG goals. We close out the conversation as Taylor lets us in on his daily non-negotiables and the advice he would give to his 22-year-old self, which uh, you'll want to stick around to to hear. Now, if you haven't done so already, be be sure to subscribe to our channel and consider downloading this episode and future episodes. This is really the only way that we can track how many people are listening. So if you're one of the folks out there who are still streaming the episodes, I urge you to consider hitting that download button instead. And if you enjoy this episode, please share it with your network and recommend to a friend or colleague in the industry. Now we think you're really going to enjoy this conversation with Taylor and me. So let's drop in. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast. Today, we're sitting down with Taylor Oswald, who is the Principal and National Practice Lead for Commercial and Industrial Markets with the Veritas Initiative. Taylor, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jim. Really appreciate being here. Yeah, of course. I know uh, I'd reached out to you and, and we finally got this thing scheduled. So I'm, I'm glad we're we're sitting down and you know excited to learn more about what you guys are up to. And and I guess before we launch into that, Taylor, tell us a little bit about your background, kind of where you grew up and how you got started in your career. Yeah, sure. So I'll give the abbreviated version, Jim, but uh, I grew up in the Midwest, originally from Ohio, kind of Southern Ohio, Dayton. Um, you know, my father was in the Air Force and worked at Wright Pat, which is kind of the big military base in the region. Um, I started out my career largely in accounting and finance. Um, I got my bachelor's uh, in finance from Toledo University, Go Rockets, and then MBA from Ohio University while I was working professionally. But I, I really didn't start out in energy, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, so the lens at which I process energy and talk to customers certainly has a financial element. So worked largely in kind of the telecom and retail industries, uh, publicly traded companies doing a lot of financial planning and analysis, accounting treatment, mergers and acquisitions, capital planning, um, things of that nature really cut my teeth on kind of P&L management as a whole. So that, you know, when I do work with customers nowadays, I, I have a really good understanding of, you know, utilities and energy, you know, typically is around, you know, the top five kind of line item uh, from a cost center perspective for the commercial industrial vertical. Um, Post that, I went into what I would call consulting for manufacturing, where we helped site uh, new manufacturing plants or uh, siting expansions for those plants. So worked with a lot of industrial customers to fill out operational pro formas, you know, around 
tax implications, utility considerations, and worked a lot with utility companies across really the country um, and a whole host of capacities around understanding regulatory environment, um, pricing, you know, all the way down to the kilowatt hour and kind of each state has its own nuances because it was such an important component to that decision to locate. Um, from there, I actually started to work with Duke Energy as a client and then ultimately went to go work for them doing behind the meter development, um, kind of all things energy. And then went over to Nextera post that, uh, doing utility scale development, large scale wind and solar projects, uh, primarily for CNI, uh, clean energy procurement. So think about like, you know, buying 100, 200 megawatts off of a um, wind farm, you know, to meet sustainability goals, you know, cure the wrecks, et cetera. So learn behind the meter, utility scale. And then I went to work for a project finance company owned by Blackstone, financing energy assets. Um, across the country. So that was kind of the, I guess, the full circle approach to my career, um, kind of starting out in finance and accounting, getting into energy. I mean, then ultimately here, I'm at Veritas now leading the commercial industrial practice based on all those experiences. No, that's excellent. That's excellent. All right. So let's um, let's unpack that a little bit. So the um, entry point in your career, you know, background and bachelor's in, uh, in finance, was there something about that discipline or that degree that really drew you in? Like anything that, you know, just growing up, you always had a way with numbers or, you know, what, uh, what prompted you to go down that path? Yeah, I, I think I definitely love numbers. I love math. I think, you know, inherently some of the things we love early on, you know, are influenced by our parents. My dad was very strong in that department. So um, I always loved just kind of calculus and math and things of that nature. And, you know, just the business world as a whole was very interesting to me. So it was like the obvious kind of way to go into college. I mean, obviously I've pivoted in my career, but I always kind of come back to that lens because um, a lot of the audience I deal with is kind of at that senior CFO type level. Um, and I think a lot of things come back to the numbers. And I know we'll dive into that a little bit, but just always had a knack for it. So that's what I stuck with early on. Yeah, got it. Okay. All right. So then you land in the, uh, we'll call it the uh, the energy space broadly, right? You land at Duke Energy back in uh, 2019, it looks like. So, and then obviously you haven't, you haven't gone anywhere anytime since, right? So you found something in this space or this industry that has drawn you in and, you know, probably going to keep you here for a while. So, you know, what is it about energy efficiency or renewable energy that is allowing you to continue to progress in your career? What do you, what do you enjoy about it? I think it's it's such a customized industry based on you know where a customer's operating, the regulatory environment, the types of energy assets that are out there, either behind the meter or you know utility scale. And there's a lot of nascent technologies that are up and coming. So I think as you think about just the world in general, energy is one of those boxes that will always be there, and it's it's constantly shifting in terms of the art of the possible. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed, you know, working in CNI specific is all their needs are very bespoke to the operations and obviously sustainability is a component of that. But um, it's ever evolving in terms of where the industry started and where it's going. And it's got a really long runway um, on top of it, just always being something it's an essential need to virtually everybody like yourself and myself. 
All right. So you, you brought us up to uh, to speed. You brought us up to present day here with the, the Veritas Initiative. Now, I know the uh, the collaboration between Generate and McKinstry coming together to form this organization. So you have some you know, two powerhouse organizations there. I mean, what what can you tell us about kind of the uh, the go to market strategy and you know how you guys are positioned today? Yeah, so I think it's really a, a great marriage of companies, you know, McKinstry being really strong in the design build um, within the built environment around energy systems, uh, privately held company, phenomenal culture, um, same thing around generate, you know, obviously looking to provide capital and kind of a sustainability, sustainability fashion, um, we call it mission driven capital. So the way we are going to market is we're va- we're basically verticalized. I'm obviously the commercial industrial, but I have peers in other industries. So we're we like to think we're industry specialists, and we know the needs of the client because we've been there and we've done a lot of execution within that field. You know, I've walked a lot of plants. You know, CNI. I understand the unique challenges even within the verticals within CNI. You know, pharmaceutical being one, they have different needs. You know, around resiliency that maybe you know, other industries and just understanding the nuances of the customers, um, having done the work, I think makes us all kind of stand out. Uh, so we're not just, you know, broadly defined in terms of how we're, we're going to market individually. Yeah. And I wanted to get your take. So we've had a few folks on the podcast that have come from the as a service model, right? I know everyone kind of has their own approach to it, their own way of um, financing projects and, and bringing value to their customer base. But you know, I also know that that model could change based on market conditions, interest rates, et cetera. So, you know, today we're recording this on October 31st of 2023. You know, what's what's kind of your perception of what's going on in the market from the customers that you're communicating with as far as, yeah, I mean, I feel like you, you got to factor in interest rates and just kind of some global macroeconomic trends that are happening today. Yeah, I mean, I think cost of capital, you know, is that kind of like a 20 year high. Um, yeah, so pulling right. from your balance sheet is getting more and more expensive. And through the lens of, you know, CNI, they're always looking at kind of that payback component to, to make project pencil. So, you know, I think private capital for the right types of projects makes a ton of sense, especially if you want to de risk um, the transaction. And by that, I mean kind of having somebody else take on the operations and maintenance, you know, risk of failure. Um, you know, there's a lot of issues around just labor in general to operate these systems. So I think it's becoming more and more of a trend. And I know we'll hit on that later. Um, but it, a lot of times energy assets from an ROI standpoint are not as feasible as, you know, adding a new production line that's going to be revenue generating. And it's customers are more acutely aware of that right now because of where interest rates are. Um, so I do think kind of that outsourced model is going to continue to pick up traction. Um, given all the the kind of macro environment things going on. Right. Yeah, because I think that's one consistent thing is that uh, interest rates will continue to change, right? They go up, they go down, but the the value and what you're bringing to the table and uh, still the opportunity for the end user to allocate those funds that they normally would have for energy efficiency upgrades, like, hey, we still have to run this plant, right? It's still more valuable, uh, like you said, to add a new line or whatever, yeah. And I, I just think energy prices, inflation, I mean, all those things, you know, are intertwined to this conversation. Right. Um, as you look at where do you put your capital right now? Um, so we, we like to help customers figure that out, even if it's kind of a mix and match approach. But uh, there's a lot of goals out there around sustainability, net zero, carbon neutral, et cetera. And 
you know, the cost of capital doesn't necessarily bode well, you know, right now for some of those projects, you know, penciling to where folks can move forward. So private capital certainly has a place for that. Yeah, you mentioned uh, sustainability goals, which is something I'm, I'm curious about. So within the CNI sector, have you seen certain types of customers that are more receptive or more re- embracing of that approach of, hey, we got to meet sustainability goals. And, you know, that's why we're interested. That's why we're sitting here today, Taylor, when you're you know giving them a presentation or communicating with them. Or are there certain customers that are like, hey, we just want to save money on your utility bills. Right? These sustainability goals are great, but man, how could you help us save money? So I, I guess I was curious if you could slice that between like, hey, is it pharmaceutical? Is it commercial office? Is it industrial processing? Have you seen some trends or themes between those markets as far as what their goals are? I mean, I certainly think that everything is moving in that direction, especially if you're okay. publicly tra- you know, there's shareholder pressure around sustainability goals. I do think that there are certain industries within CNI that are more progressive and ambitious. Right. The industry in which they operate, you know, i.e. plastics is a good example. You know, to your point, though, I think when you can find that paradigm of, you know, unit economics being in your favor and sustainability both being checked. And by that, I mean, you're saving money and you're being sustainable. Um, it's a lot easier to progress on some of those projects, but I, I think there's just a there's an overall movement in the market. Um, I even saw it when I was in the utility scale business, where you know historically you had large tech companies and kind of the obvious people trying to procure large amounts of clean energy because they had dispersed load, and over time you started to see smaller CNI buyers, same dispersed load profile but much less enter the market. So the, the supply demand curve was pretty out of whack. In terms of, there weren't enough projects to support the demand and volume. And a lot of that was driven by sustainability goals, apolitical of the environment at the moment. So it's, it's a little bit of both. I think some industries are more progressive than others. Uh, but, you know, with some of the, I guess, the regulatory stuff coming down the, the runway, I think that will only accelerate, you know, other folks publishing sustainability goals. Got it. Okay. Right. And then it it seems like the other part of that equation seems to be ESG, you know, and everything that comes along with that, which uh, I don't know if you, yeah, I don't know if you have a comment on that. I I feel like that goes part and parcel with sustainability at times, but you know, it also is its own separate category. So what, what are you seeing on the ESG front today? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it all is kind of under that same umbrella. I think there's okay. there's a lot of social equity issues that are being you know directed in that same auspice. Uh, you know, even to the extent where, like, from a contracting standpoint, you know, there's you know MWBNE type requirements to make sure that you know projects are being built equitably, you know, across the board, and those that are helping with that are benefiting um, to the degree it makes sense. So, yeah, I think it's. It's all under the same lens that I think it all kind of is moving in parallel together. And that kind of sets us up for uh, the next phase here of the conversation. I, w- I was curious, you know, Taylor, you know, where do you see the industry heading? You know, next 5, 10, 15 years later on down the road, what's your your, view, your viewpoint there? I love that question. This is obviously just my opinion, but of course, um, I, I think you will continue to see a lot of third-party capital driving sustainability in the market. Um, I think, you know, on the whole, you know, you're going to need that to head where we want to head from a climate change perspective. 
Um, I also think that, you know, the whole net zero carbon neutrality element of sustainability, I think you're going to need a couple things to, to happen or advance, which, you know, they are, but some days I wish they were happening faster is that, you know, being able to procure clean energy from your utility um, is still a challenge in certain parts of the country. Um, and if you have net zero goals, you know, call them green tariffs, you know, ultimately you're going to need some element of that plus clean energy demand side generation. The obvious ones being like solar complementing each other to get to that net zero pathway. Um, the, you know, there are other vehicles out in the market like virtual power purchase agreements, which I kind of talked about um, in my utility scale business. But I, I see a lot of focus on demand side kind of local premise activity around energy efficiency and all these other clean technologies to help people meet their goals and ultimately do right by the environment. But you would like to maybe see a little bit more of the utilities providing clean energy to the consumer as kind of a backstop. Yeah, and a follow-up on that. You mentioned a couple of times now, and, and I've heard this term just in conversations and I haven't been able to really wrap my arms around it. But uh, could you tell us a little bit more about what a, a virtual power plant is? Virtual power purchase agreement is essentially, you know, large projects are constructed like a wind farm. Um, and if you're a large industrial with dispersed load, let's say you have like 20 locations throughout the country, and it's just not practical for you to put clean energy or procure clean energy at those sites all the way. You know, you've gotten all the low hanging fruit out of your op you know, operations, lighting, HVAC, et cetera. It allows you to enter into a financial contract. Um, basically just a virtual PPA associated with that wind farm or solar farm, um, you know, where you're paying a developer a, a set rate for the energy produced and you're netting, you know, whatever the energy markets are yielding in that time. And it, it only happens, Jim, in floating markets. So open kind of ISOs across the country, you know, Texas is an obvious one, the, you know, down kind of the plains, you know, the Northeast, things of that nature. But it really allows folks with large dispersed loads to kind of centralize, you know, sustainability off of one or two assets to meet their goals. And they get the, the RACs, the renewable energy certificates associated with every megawatt hour that's produced. Got it. Okay. No, I appreciate that overview. I'm, I'm sure someone could spend an entire podcast talking <laughs> about this. So I uh, know I just, I've, I've been hearing it more and more, right? It seems like something that is emerging, something that's coming uh, yes. down the pipeline here that I've been hearing more and more about. So I appreciate the, uh, the overview on that. So that sounds good. All right. So, so let's, um let's transition to the, the last part of the show here, Taylor. I wanted to ask you the same four questions I ask every guest who comes on and wanted to lead off with what are your daily non-negotiables? I love that question. Uh, recently, you know, I, I just had a young child, so I'm an early riser on the whole. Uh, just spending quality time in the morning is a non-negotiable for me, you know, with him in particular, and just having that time, kind of peace and quiet. The other one, which is, <laughs> I'm a little bit old school. I like newspapers, and I like to physically read things. So, you know, reading the Wall Street Journal just to start my day is another one. So that I can be just more informed about what's going on in the world. And hopefully I can, you know, lend some incredible thought to the conversations that I'm having with customers. Those are two. And then, you know, exercise, 
as much as I can, uh, getting a little bit harder, uh, but also, you know, unobstructed family time towards the end of the day. And I mean, like once the day is done, put your fun away, enjoy quality time with my, you know, my wife and my son. Um, those are, those are kind of the, the pillars of my life right now, Jim. Oh, that's, that's excellent. Uh, so how many people in your neighborhood do you think get the wall street journal delivered? Like, you know, how many of those are getting delivered? Probably, probably not a lot. I, I, you know, I just moved here as we, as we talked. So I oh, haven't, that's right. That's, I, I haven't seen, you know, many yet, but I, I'm sure other people do. I just, I can't do the digital version. I, I need the print. Yeah. Nice. That is, that is old school, but yeah, you're right. There is some power in that. Just kind of getting it, getting it in your hands. All yeah. right. Well, let's, uh, let's rewind the clock. You're graduating from uh, Toledo, I believe, right? That's where you undergrad. 22-year-old yep. Taylor, what advice would you give to yourself then? So I think, you know, as I look back at my career path and kind of starting out in kind of finance and accounting, I learned early on I love numbers, but I love people even more. So I think take more risk early on professionally, even if it's like outside the wheelhouse of what you graduated with. I think sometimes we get you know, stuck on, I, I have a degree in this and that's what I need to pursue. And I think ultimately a lot of us land in other industries. So I think challenging yourself around that, especially for me, I wish I would have, you know, pivoted earlier than I did, you know, around kind of energy, business development, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I also think like, Finding people that will take a risk on you to to pivot those energies isn't an easy thing, but there are people willing. So uh, make those decisions earlier on to the degree that it's going to make you happier on the whole. Um, that that's probably the the key takeaway I had as I looked at my career is making that jump sooner, even if it would have you know meant less money or kind of a little bit of chaos to get up to speed. I think it would have suited me better, but here I am now and I'm, I'm glad what I'm doing. What motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? My friends and family. Uh, I'm also like, just for purpose, I think as developers, we have the opportunity to really kind of change the environment for the better. And, you know, as I think about, you know, my son in particular, uh, you know, just doing those things, being right by the client, you know, handling myself in a manner that, you know, my family and friends will appreciate, but also just doing right by the customer. I think there's a lot of challenging problems out there in the energy world. Um, and I, I don't want to be commoditized around a certain product offering. Rather, I'd rather be kind of, you know, bespoke to the situation, which typically is what I'm walking into. But just, just being a problem solver, uh, my day looks very different every day. Um, and the challenges that I'm, I'm helping clients navigate, whether it's around sustainability goals or whatnot, but just, you know, being in the industry, making things better, working with people that personally want to make things better. And obviously the, the corporation does, but a lot of the, the awesome people I get to connect with, Jim, are, you know, really trying to do right um, by the environment and just collaborating in those efforts is, is really fun. All right. Last question here. What do you want your lasting legacy to be? I would say authenticity, um, being a connector, somebody that's going to be there when you need them. I think a lot of my relationships over time have manifested from um, adjacent industries, and they're not necessarily in the energy industry, but you, know, you run into people that want to connect you with other good people. 
Um, and I, I'd like to do the same. I mean, I think there's a lot of people, you know, my career that have helped me. And I think we all, you know, have the opportunity to give back in one way or the other as we advance. Um, I already mentioned kind of being a problem solver, but I, I like kind of the bring me your problems and we'll find a way to solve them. I always like to say too, like, if I, if I can't help you directly, I'm, I'm hoping I can find somebody who can. Um, and I think that just has good, you know, just good energy as a whole. Um, and then I think just in the industry, as we advance, just being able to give back to the younger generation that's entering. And there's a lot of cool things going on in energy and just being a liaison, whether it's getting somebody a job or being a resources or navigating, you know, new challenges. I think that's, um, that's important to me as I advance. Oh, that's excellent. Well, I think that's the perfect way to close out the show here. So Taylor, thanks for being a guest on the Building Efficiency Podcast. Thank you, Jim. All right, there you have it. Episode 98 with Taylor Oswald. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And if you did enjoy it, please be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you enjoy listening to your favorite podcast. We hope you're sharing this with your friends and colleagues. And one last thing, if you have any future guests in mind from the industry, please reach out to me. We'd love to hear from you loyal listeners. So until next time, I'm Jim Schaefer, and we'll catch you on the next episode.